Um, just want to welcome all of you guys here. Um, especially, I just want, I'm glad to see uh, the, especially youth group and a couple of college students, they came back in one piece. So thank God. They just arrived this morning. So they had a red-eye flight. So I know they were pretty tired. Um, but thank you for um, joining us for this time of worship service. Um, let's pray with a, uh, with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Um, God, we thank you. And as we uh, come before you and as we turn to this portion of your word, may your truth be spoken, uh, that you would hide any human element that only your truth may be uh, spoken and preached uh, this morning, and may we receive it, and really may that be, uh, may we take it, and may you grow it in our hearts, may it be ingrained in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so the title of my message is uh, The Purity of Heart. Um, you know, what comes to mind when you hear the word pure? What comes to mind? Maybe a thoroughbred, um, Horse, a race, you know, race horse, maybe filter water or something like that, right? Um, and usually it, it means something that's unadulterated, uh, free of a foreign substance. And um, yeah, we can just think about, um, you know, like pure gold, gold. When we say pure gold, it means like 100%, right? Pretty much it's all uh, gold without any other substance in it. But um, I think uh, when it comes to Christ, in Christian circle, um, we usually say it in the context of sexual purity, right? Uh, are you pure? It usually means, hey, you're not sleeping around, right? Uh, we usually, um, when we talk about purity, we usually kind of, yeah, kind of use it in the sense of like, hey, keep the marriage uh, bed pure, right? Um, that you make sure that you don't watch porn, you know, things like that. And that's how we usually use the word pure uh, in Christian sense. But I'm here to say that actually it goes beyond the sphere of spiritual, I mean, the, uh, the sexual purity. And that's what we're going to be talking about um, today. So we have been, uh, for those of you guys who have joined us for the first time, we have been going through uh, the series uh, on the Beatitudes uh, for the last few weeks. And we talked about how these are the characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom of God, for those of us who are the children of God. So when we talk about like the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, the meek, uh, blessed are those who mourn, um, and now today it's a blessed are those who are pure in heart. You know, it's more than just um, ethical codes, just being nice and just having nice moral codes. It, it goes beyond that. I think um, there is a, this a wide misconception uh, that being a Christian means being a nice guy, right? So, so, so when we are Christian, we, uh, people may think, oh, being a Christian means you just have to be nice to people. Make sure that you don't swear when other people are swearing all around you, right? Your friends, your coworkers, they are like cussing out like crazy, you know, cussing like drunken, drunken sailor, but you don't do that because you are a Christian. Or um, we think that being a Christian uh, means, yeah, that when other people are being promiscuous, that you don't sleep around, right? Um, and just uh, be a nice guy. Right? Just be a nice church choir boy. And so oftentimes we think being a Christian means just be a nice person, be a good citizen. And that's how we may think. So there's a lot of misconception about that. And, you know, like, I used to think that too. 
I thought uh, that being a Christian growing up in the church, that I thought having good moral values compared to other people was what made me a Christian, that I would make sure that I wouldn't cheat right, when other people are cheating around me or something like when, I, you know, even though I tell lies, but, you know, I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't lie too much, right? Uh, maybe some white lies are okay. I shouldn't lie too much because I'm a Christian. So I used to think that being a Christian meant make sure, uh, uh, just making sure to maintain a high moral value. And that's what, to me, it meant to be a Christian. But you know, the thing is, it's more than that, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, here's the thing. This is what I'm going to say. Growing up in a church or attending church on a regular basis does not make you a a Christian any more than going to McDonald's every week will make you a hamburger, right? That doesn't make sense. Just because you love Big Mac and you go there once a week, right? Does that make you a hamburger just because you you go there all the time? Same thing. Just because we show up on Sunday, right, doesn't make us automatically a Christian. It really doesn't. It's not the same thing. Then what makes one a Christian? What separates a Christian from a non-Christian? I mean, what are the distinguishing marks of a genuine Christian? What are the the things that really separate us? What distinguishes us? You know, sometimes when, uh, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I go to like concerts or like conferences, you know, they give you the wristband, you know, just to make sure that you paid and that that you are allowed to go in. Because, you know, at times when you go to conferences and um, after morning session, you just go out. for like lunch or something. But coming back, you know, there are people standing at the door making sure that you are registered. So you have to, here, here, my my wristband here, right? And that separates you, that it tells you that you have registered, that you uh, are allowed, you have access to come back in, right? So what is that wristband for us to be a Christian, right? And so um, that's what we've been looking at. And today, uh, in this passage, we're going to be looking at three phrases and their meaning uh, in this short verse, right? Um, and the first thing is Jesus says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Um, yeah, so the first thing that we have to then kind of define, I guess I'm a little in- influenced by Pastor Jay, I guess he loves to define things because oftentimes, even though when we hear things, we just assume that whatever that we think of it, that's what it means. But um, I think we need to fine-tune or just kind of maybe think about, think a little more about the definitions uh, of the words that we speak. So what is a blessing then? Okay. Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are those. So what is a blessing? What does it mean biblically being blessed? Being blessed here means more than being happy. We often hear athletes, right, after winning championship or winning some kind of competition, and then when the the interviewer comes up and says, you know, and then one of the first things that they say, I'm blessed, I am blessed, right? People hear that all the time. It means that I am happy because I won. I just won a championship, so I feel really excited and happy, so I am blessed. That's how sometimes people use the word blessed or blessing, Right? Or, you know, we, ha- we say to people who have some superior, like, abilities or features, man, you are blessed. We can say when we look at Pastor Sam, 
you know, I may say, man, Pastor Sam is blessed with height. He's like so tall, right, for a Korean guy. And uh, so, you know, we can say, man, Pastor Sam is blessed with his height and he's got some mad, you know, basketball, like, uh, skills or something. That's what, at least that's what he claims. I've never seen him play. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you see people that are, like, really good, right, like Kevin Durant or those guys, um, you know, Steph Curry and all those guys, man, we say, man, they're blessed. Or like people who we look up to or just look at and say they have some amazing skills and talents, we also say, man, that guy's blessed. Um, or sometimes, even among Christians, we often say, man, God blessed us with a really nice house. Right? God blessed me with a trophy wife. Um, you know, God blessed me with this and that. And so even among Christians, we use that word blessed a lot. But usually when we say when we are blessed, what we mean is that God gave me good things that I've wanted. So I feel really happy and I'm really grateful to God for giving me this good thing that I really wanted or I was praying for. So I am blessed when God gives me good things that I want or I pray for. So we often associate blessing with things, right? things that we've wanted, or some favorable circumstances. Then we say, oh, I am blessed because it actually happened. I don't know if I could get into, you know, like Harvard, but I got in. I feel blessed. But, you know, the thing is, we often associate it with, like, our goal, our dream. And when it comes true, then we say it is a blessing. But what about in those moments when it doesn't come true, when it doesn't really happen? I have yet to hear a Christian telling me, I am so blessed, Pastor Wojin, that I don't have a girlfriend. Right? I've never heard anybody saying that. I've never heard anybody coming up to me and say, Pastor Wojin, I feel so blessed that I was passed on my you know, promotion from work. You know, I, I worked my you know, tail off, but you know, I didn't get the recognition. So I, I didn't get the promotion. I feel so blessed. Woo! You know, no, nobody ever comes to me and tells me about bad things that happen, and they say, I am blessed. Right? We only say we associate with good things, what I wanted. It, it actually happened, so I feel blessed. But you know, um, so oftentimes that's what we mean by blessing or blessedness. But the blessedness that Jesus talks about here is not that kind, right? It goes deeper than physical things or circumstances. It means, what does it really mean? It means to have the approval of God. When Jesus says, blessed are those, it means I, you have the seal of approval from me, from God, that God approves you. Because God approves you, you are blessed. God accepts you right, for those people. Or it means blessing means having a right standing before God. That's what it means, having a right standing before God or just that God has approved you. And that is truly a blessing, not so much the things that we wanted. It actually happens, and we get it and say, oh, I feel blessed. True blessing in Christian life is not the fact that we get good gifts from God. Yes, that is definitely part of it. When we pray for things and we receive answers to prayers, great. And we pray for promotion, a new job, uh, good school, you know, good spouse, good family, all these things. And yes, that is part of it. But 
it's really more than that, right? The true blessing is that we are known and we are loved by God, that God knows me. This unworthy person out of billions and billions of people, God would come, seek me out, and knows me, reveals himself to me. And God says, I approve you. You are my son, you are my daughter. Having the seal of approval, that is true blessing in the eyes of God. In the eyes of man, we want physical things. Things we just want it, we, we just want things to pan out the way we want, and we say that is blessing. But in the eyes of God, biblically speaking, it's really about having a right standing before God, meaning we have no Christ as our Lord and Savior right? before an almighty God. Having the seal of approval, that is a true and biblical blessing. A long time ago, um, there was this Christian artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, and one time he visited uh, a prison. And um, I think what happened is um, an inmate, uh, he, was, uh, he shared about uh, his encounter with an inmate. And um, he was just so... Um, he was like struck by the conversation that he had, and he shared that, um, as you know, most of the inmates, when you go visit them, a lot of times what they say is, "I'm not, I'm, I'm like innocent. It's not my fault. Can you get me a, a you know, lawyer or something?" Those are the usually the what the attitudes or the sayings of the people. But this inmate, he was so struck by the calmness and the peace that he would have. So I was like, well, "How come you're just so content being stuck in in prison?" Um, and he said, well, before I knew Christ, you know, I was a broken man. I, it, it really it was hard and difficult for me, but I found Christ in, in prison. And then uh, through the ministry of some uh, local like Christians. And so even though he says, even though I'm incarcerated, I am truly free. So I am so thankful. So you see, like, and that really struck him. Wow, how can an inmate being imprisoned imprisoned, and then saying that I am free. I am so thankful because he had that relationship with God. That now he is a, he's a child of God, and knowing that really brought him joy and peace. Right? And that is true blessing, biblically. Biblical definition of blessing or blessedness rises above circumstance or things of this world. That's why even in dungeon, Paul felt blessed and gave thanks to God. The question is, do you have this kind of blessing that you are approved and known and loved by God infinitely more than we truly deserve through Christ Jesus, right? And have that, that right standing before God. God declares us righteous. Not because of what we have done, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we put our trust in Him, when we put our tr uh, faith in the Son of God, Jesus, then we, are, we receive this seal of approval. And that is a true blessing. So the first question of blessedness, what is a blessing? It means that you would have this right standing before God. That God has approved you, and that is the most important thing. You know, I've seen so many people, sometimes in my life, trying to earn the approval of our parents, oftentimes our fathers especially, because my dad too was a very typical like, Korean dad, 
We rarely ever talked much. He never ever told me he loved me verbally, right? I never heard that uh, from his mouth. So growing up, you know, I just, I was craving the approval of my dad. And so some of the things that I did, some of the, you know, the, the reason why I wanted to go to like good school and things is somehow so that I would earn the approval of my dad, right? But can you imagine that, but stop and think about it. We, so often, we try to earn the approval of our boss, of our spouse, of our family, of our church members, people around us. But it pales in comparison to God approving us. That if you are in Christ Jesus, God has approved you. You have a right standing before God. And because of that, that we can consider ourselves blessed if we are in Christ Jesus. So the first question was, uh, what is a blessing? Right? And the second one that we want to look at is then pure in heart. Right? It says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. What does that mean, pure in heart? This passage tells us that blessing or the, uh, the characteristic of those who belong to God is those who are pure in heart. And heart here means the center of one's being and the spirit. It includes our will, our mind, our emotions. From the heart spring, um, emotions, thought, motivations, courage, and action. It's basically our inner self, our inner being that makes us who we are. That's what heart is in the Bible. That's what it means. We're not talking about a physical heart. It is the core of our being. In the biblical tradition, the heart is the real and the true self. It's not the physical body that you see. This, uh, This world tells us this is you, like the way you look outside, right? Maybe your talents, your gifts. But spiritually speaking, it is more than that. The true self is our inner being, our heart, the core of our being. And Matthew chapter, 25, uh, chapter 5, 27 and 28, I don't know if you have that. Uh, yeah. Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. For the longest time, people, when they, when they heard the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, the man thought, oh, so as long as I don't get into physical, physically, then I've kept this law, that I haven't committed adultery. Whereas Jesus comes along and says, no, it's not about your outward behavior, how you behave and your actions, but your heart. What's really in your heart that really matters? So if you even had an adulterous like, intent, if you lost it after a woman, right, then you have already committed adultery in the eyes of God, because it's a matter of heart. What's really in your heart? What are you are really thinking? What is your motivation? Right? In other words, what matters is what goes in the heart, in our heart. That's what God looks at. We human beings, we are finite, we are limited, so we can only judge people by what we, what we hear and what we see them do. But when God looks at us, God doesn't so much look at, of course he does, our sayings and actions, 
but God looks at our heart. What's really in it? What drives us to do things? What is our motivation? So God looks at our heart, our motive, our thoughts, our emotions, our will. Right? And Jesus is saying what matters is our hearts that are pure. That's why the Pharisees, they got all the flack from Jesus, right? From, the, from the, the human perspective, when people saw the Pharisees, they were impressive people. I mean, they memorized the scripture, like, you know, back and forth. I mean, they give almsgiving. They, uh, they fasted twice a week. I mean, how many of us actually fast even half a day, right? They fasted twice a week, right? And they did all this, and they gave, and they knew the scripture inside and out, so people were impressed. And they kept the law, really. At least on the out, outwardly. But when God looks at them, what Jesus looked at them is, was their heart full of greed, pride, self-righteousness, right? judgmental spirit, and all these things. That's why God had to just uh, rebuke them for their uh, hypocrisy. So now, the, what does it mean pure in heart then? Right? Is he talking about being sinless? We know that that's, that can't be true because, um, you know, 1 John 1a says that if you claim, claim to be without sin, then you are lying, right? So we know that we, there's, it is impossible for, for us to really be sinless. So certainly Jesus is, that's not what Jesus is saying, that we be sinless in our heart. We all are infected by sin in our hearts. So then what? What does that mean, pure in heart, right? It means having a heart that is morally pure and honest and sincere, right? It's morally pure, honest, and sincere. We're talking about integrity and the single-minded commitment to God. That's what Jesus really means when he says pure in heart, right? Have that integrity. Make sure that it is considered what you say and what you do, right? And have the single-minded commitment to God, a heart that is not divided between God and the world. Pure in heart means having a singular focus on God and God alone. You are just fixated on God. That's what it means. Jesus says we cannot serve two masters, mammon and God. In other words, compromising our faith is not a pure heart, considered pure heart. Desiring and having idols in our hearts cannot mean having a pure heart. So it's not just like a pornography we are talking about. Of course, that's definitely part of it. But it can be any other things that may get in the way that are competing with the supremacy of God in our hearts. So it can very well be our spouse. I'm sorry, right? I'm not here to just break the families or anything, but sometimes if we put spouse or for parents, your children, if you just put them above God, right? then you are not having a pure heart. Yet you may not have, you may not struggle with pornography or like, you know, sexual like, you know, innuendo and all those things. But if you place anything or anyone above God, then you don't have a pure heart before God. It can be financial security. Some of us, we are so fixated on just securing our future. So we got to make sure like, right, 401k is like fully like, you know, just stock, well stocked, you know, make sure to stay in the stock market and just earn some good money, just securing the future, unknown future for your retirement 
for your children, right? It could be video games. It could even be acceptance from people. We just, we want people to like us, don't we? So we do a lot of things that would really impress people, that would, and people who would approve us. All these things, if anything comes before, then it's considered an impure heart before God, right? A pure heart is just fixated and just focus on God and God alone. There's this one lady that I know for many, many years. Uh, she's, uh, she's a prayer lady, and whew, she's just like an amazing lady. Um, she really, like, she has such a heart for the people. Um, and just, she would always intercede. She would go on, like, 40-day fasting, you know, um, and just pray day and night. I've, I've never met a person like that that is so committed to praying and um, really just uh, living for God, right? Having a pure heart. Being consumed to know and love God. Having an undivided heart for Christ. It's like, um, you know, like the, you, a few years ago, you know how like those um, Christians, in Egypt, Egypt, Egyptian Christians, uh, they were beheaded by the ISIS, right? Uh, I was going to show the video, but it was just, uh, not video, but the pictures of it, but it was just too graphic, so uh, I chose not to, but just having a heart and commitment for God, right? That is a pure heart before Him, right? I'm not saying that we have to be perfect because we will not be, but where is our heart? Where is our heart? Where does our devotion and commitment really lie, right? So, you know, I have a cup, and you know, it's like if, if you try to just kind of try to please yourself, uh, just get into the things of this world and God at the same time, that is impure. So, you know, I have uh, this unopened ginger ale. Okay. And you know what it tastes like, right? Mm, it's good. It's good. But it's like the same thing when we, uh, and I do have a grape juice. If I put these things together, I never tried this. Please don't try it at home. Oh, it's nasty. Oh, but anyways, uh, that's what we do when we try to um, we try to like serve God and also please ourselves, or just kind of just go after things of this world: fame, acceptance. Uh, jobs, money, fame, popularity, and all these things. We try, so I see many Christians trying to go after God at the same time. Yeah, I'm just going to go halfway. Now, I'm just going to be a respectable Christian. I'm going to, yeah, don't worry, Pastor Wujin. I'm going to show up to church on Sunday, so I'll be at least decent, respectable Christian. But don't tell me to go all the way for God. Go all in. That's, that's, just, that's too much, right? I'll just do my part in showing up on church on Sunday. But also at the same time, having a desire, wanting things for, for ourselves, right? That cannot be a pure heart. That is, uh, that from, the, from God's perspe- perspective, that is not a pure heart. The people who have the most conflicting time or people who are most miserable are those Christians who try to maintain a life following God somehow while living for themselves, somehow trying to get the best of both worlds. But those are the people that I, that I see that are the most miserable because 
They know what the scripture says. They know what God desires. And at the same time, they want things from God. So they try to just somehow balance things out, right? And those are the people who feel most condemned, guilty, difficult, miserable, right? And that's not the way God has intended for us to live, right? We just want things nice and easy. But that's not what God calls us to to be. You know, the Avengers Endgame, Oh, there are some people who have not seen the movie here. Are there anybody? I'm not going to risk it. All right, forget it. Forget, forget the illustration. Oh, that was a good one. But ah, Anyways, okay, so I'm, I'm sure some people may be too embarrassed to, you know, to put your hands up if you haven't seen it. So, so all is good. Um, <clears throat> so where, where was I? Um, yeah, so when you have distractions, and other masters competing against God, then our hearts, right, it will be clouded, and we will be in confusion. That's where we will be. And guess what will happen? It's just like, you know, I mean, this is, it just drives me nuts. Like the pet peeves is like people who are on the road, and they're driving while they're texting. You know how, like, they're going at, like, they're going way slower because they don't want to, you know, to hit the car in front of them. So they are driving like 30 miles in like a 45-mile zone, right? And then just driving and then just texting at the same time. It drives me nuts, right? I want to just like cut in front of them and just slam on the brake or something. Um, but anyway, I don't do that. But, um, but you know, that's what we do oftentimes. It's like we are trying to drive and at the same time just texting at the same time. Of course, there will be accidents that are, it's just going to be miserable, right? If you are driving, just drive. If you are texting, just text and just don't drive, right? Um, so, the, um, so the question that we have to really ask ourselves is, is our heart pure before it? Do we have this undivided, okay, undistracted devotion to Christ? Do we have that pure heart? Is there a single-mindedness? Is there that devotion to Christ? The purity of heart must involve integrity, singleness of intent, intention, and the desire to please God above all else. Purity of heart is to will one thing. It's really about willing one thing, God's will with all of our being. That's what it means to be pure in heart. It's more than just not engaging in Porno, uh, you know, watching pornography. It goes much deeper than that. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Just because we do not commit adultery, just because we are not watching porn, doesn't mean that we are pure in heart. It's about our heart's disposition. Where does our heart really lie? And the last question is then, how do you see God? Right? Jesus says, "For those uh, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. But the question is, how can one see God, right? Non-Christians do not believe in God so, you know, because they don't see him. So you know, they, they, raise the, 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 they raise the objection, right? How can you believe in a God when he cannot be seen? Have you spoken? Have you heard him? Have you touched him? Have you smelled him? Have you t- tasted him? I mean, with our five senses, right, it's, it's not there. So how can you believe in a God like that? If God shows up right now, right in, at this moment, in front of me, then I will believe, right? Unless he does that, how can you believe in a God that doesn't really, you can't see? 
The thing is, that means you don't know God or what God is like. Because the scripture tells us that God is a spirit. God doesn't have two you know, eyes, nose, you know, mouth, ears like we do. God is a spirit. So his divine essence is invisible. However, the scripture tells us believers will see God here and now through the eyes of faith. Hebrews uh, 11, 27 says this. By faith, uh, referring to Abraham, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Right. Seeing him who is invisible. That's what it means, seeing God through the eyes of faith. Right. And Jesus assured his disciples that in seeing Jesus himself, that they had seen I seen the Father in John 49. You see, this world tells us, right, if I see, then I'm going to believe. Right? I have to see it first to believe. But you know, biblically and spiritual realm, it's the other way around. I believe, then I will see. Isn't that true? This world says, I have to see it for me to believe. But for us, for me to see him, we have to believe. When we believe, when we put our trust any God as revealed in the scripture, then we will see, then we will understand why it is true. Right? When we believe, then our spiritual eyes will open up and we will see the reality. Right? You see, in scripturally, to see God means to know him. That's what it really means. It's not so much like seeing God with our physical eyes. But when the Bible talks about seeing God, it means to know God, know Him deeply. So when our hearts are pure, walking with God, following Him, and loving Him with reckless abandonment, then we will see Him. We will experience Him. Um, so like many, many years ago, like 18, 19 years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I was... Um, I was at this uh, church, and we went to this um, rally in, uh, in the National Mall in D.C., right? And there was, a, it was like a big gathering. Over 100,000 like, uh, teenagers were there. And then one of the speakers challenged the, the, the youth, at the young people, teenagers at the time. He said, you know, I challenge you guys, young people, to go on this um, 40-day juice-only fasting. So basically he challenged them to really, just like Daniel, just don't eat anything, but, you know, just to sustain yourself, you know, just you know, just grind like juice, like carrots and those like, vegetables, and then drink it, right? And just cling on to God and just pray and seek his face and see what's going to happen. I was a youth pastor. As I was listening to it, like I laughed in my inside. I was like, yeah, right. For 40 days during the school year, are you crazy? Who would do that? Who in the right mind and uh, these rambling teenagers would go on a 40-day, 40 days, not just 10 days or 15 days, 40-day fasting, that's, that's not going to happen. That's what I thought, being a youth pastor. Wow, you talk about lack of faith, right? So, and then we just came back, and then I just, you know, I forgot all about it. And then one by one, kids started coming to me, right, and saying, hey, Pastor Woojin, I think um, God is really stirring my heart and calling me to go on this 40-day fasting. And I was like, are you serious? 
I mean, I didn't say that, but I was like, bless you, right? Man, just go for it, right? And then it wasn't just one or two. There are 14 students came to me individually at different times, and they said they really were convicted by God to go on this 40-day juice-only fasting. So, and actually one of them uh, was in a, a JV uh, football team. He was a big dude, right? He was a big guy. I said, oh, Pastor, what do you know? I have, like, uh, practice every afternoon after, right after school. But God, I think God is really calling me to go on this fasting. What should I do? And you know what I said? I said, being a pastor, you know what? God will accept your heart. You know, it's your heart that really matters. So why don't you at least eat your lunch, right? So you need some energy to, to you know, withstand the, and the, the football practice and things like that. And so oh, you should, he's like, really? You think I should just, like, only do just fast, like, breakfast and dinner? He's like, yeah, yeah, do it, do it, man. You know, you know I know how football means, how much football means to you. He was like, oh, really? And then later I found out that he actually decided to go on full, like, 40-day fasting. And so when I found out that, like, 14 students of mine felt so convicted to go on a 40-day fasting, I was like, oh, shucks, you know, here I am, a youth pastor. So I felt so convicted, right? It's like, man. So I had to repent and then of my lack of faith and just kind of really underestimating what these young people could do. So I decided to go on a, you know, the 40-day juice-only fasting with them. Um, so eventually, seven of them made it all the way to 40 days during the school year, right? Um, by the grace of God, I was able to finish with them. Um, and yeah, people, man, you literally are half the man that you used to be, right? Yeah. We lost so much weight. People couldn't recognize us and things like that. And, um, but, you know, it was really a sweet time because uh, during that time, I remember um, the youth group, we had um, Saturday morning prayer at 6 in the morning. And who wants to come out at 6 in the morning after Monday through Friday of waking up early in the morning? Why would any kids, I don't know what we were thinking, but we, we had that. Um, and so there were some Saturdays when it was just me and a, 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 like a Sunday school teacher praying because no one else. So we would average like three, four students out of like 150 students or something like that. And, but during the time, like somehow as we were seeking God and really crying out to God, like something really changed. And uh, like we would see about like 30 kids showing up on Saturday morning prayer meeting at 6 in the morning. And like they were like, oh God, you know, I need, we need you. And just, I mean, it was just like so, there was like so much like um, life transformation took place. Like all these kids who were so dead, spiritually dead and really callous and apathetic about Christian things. Because they grew up in the church, so they've heard it all. So nothing would actually get to them. They were like, been there, done that, right? They didn't really care. But when God started moving through these people, they were like fasting. And um, it was just an amazing time. Even the Sunday worship service, like these kids who were like folding arms before, they were like actually like, worshiping God with their hands raised high. And it was just an amazing time. It's because of that desire to see God. And they saw God. They didn't see God with their physical eyes, but they have experienced the realness of the presence of God. And that really like... Um, made a lasting uh, mark in my memory, right? That's how we can really see God. Even though we may not see it with our physical eyes, when we put our hearts into him, when we seek after him with our hearts, then the scripture tells us that we will see God, right? 
and in, and in the glorified state, God's children will see him as he is. What a day it'll be. But you know, we don't have to wait until that day. We can see him here and now. We can know him right here. How much longer should we continue in our Christian life with half-heartedness, with one foot out the door, ready to bolt when things do not pan out our way? How God longs for those people who are pure in heart. May we desire and offer up pure hearts to God so that we may see him, so that we may come to a deeper understanding and love for him.